right. Good afternoon, everybody. How are you guys doing? How's third service doing? All right. That's better. It's better. Good to see everybody. Are, are, we celebrate lives being changed today. 11 people in three services. Isn't that amazing? So thankful for, like, the gospel still working today. Like, it's, yes, it's 2,000 years old, but it still works. And there's a lot of things that are 2,000 years old that don't work anymore. But the gospel of Jesus Christ still works. Amen? I'm so glad to see everybody. We are in a sermon series called Churchology. And uh, we're just basically kind of unpacking the nuances of church. I get that in this room, many of you perhaps have never been a part of a church. This conversation Maybe a little foreign. You're kind of new to church. Like church is wonderful, and then some people who have been to church are like, "Man, I had some bad experiences." So in this conversation, we're just kind of unpacking some of the nuances and ideas about church. What is it supposed to look like? How how perfect is it supposed to be? I mean, just take a look around at all these wonderful, perfect people who have never made a mistake and never hurt or wounded anybody. Right? We're just a, a, a full house of perfect people, and uh, so. We're, we're going to investigate and continue to kind of submerge into this conversation. I heard a story of a guy uh, who didn't want to go to Sunday school, didn't want to go to church on Sunday morning, and mama comes to the door and knocks and, and uh, finally kind of opens the door and says, what are you doing? You should be getting ready for church. He says, I don't want to go to church because you're going to church. He puts the sheets over his head. I'm not going to church. I don't want to go there. It's boring and nobody's nice and, and I have no desire to go to church and and she goes, you're going to get up and you're going to go to church. I can't believe you even think you, you're not going to go to church. He goes, I do not want to go to church. There's nothing you could do that make me go to church. And he said, give me two good reasons why I should go to church. She goes, number one, you're 40 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. You need to get up and go to church. All right? So a lot of us here, you have had an experience maybe at church where you're like, man, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to go. It's kind of boring or, man, people aren't nice or, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't like churchy people, whatever, whatever. So we're kind of unpacking this. We talked about last week how there's this word called ecclesia. It's this gathering. And the same God who called us out of the world has called us into ecclesia. The same God who called you out of darkness, who took Took, it spoke to your soul and said, come out of that world, come out of that pain, come out of that void, and come into light, has also called us together. It's not, it's not something we invented. This is not some idea that I came up with or, or uh, you know, Kim came up with or Dave came up with. This is, this is a God idea. And so we want to explore, like, why does God want us to keep showing up and being together? What is church supposed to look like? What is my participation and relationship with the ecclesia supposed to look like? So last week we talked about two words, evangelion, where we get the word, the gospel, or the good news. It's where good news has come to us. A new king and kingdom is on its way. And this is a Greco-Roman word that just basically means like, hey, some battle happened. You weren't a part of it, but it does affect you. And then ecclesia is a group of people that meet together who uphold that coming kingdom, who bring that culture of the new kingdom. You're no longer Persian, you're Greek. So the language is changing, the ideals are changing, the commerce is changing. And so in the house is us protecting the kingdom that is coming. There's a king and a kingdom that is coming, and that kingdom is represented in ecclesia. And so this is something not to be like, you know, we never graduate from the gospel. 
and we never graduate from ecclesia. There's a lot of people who are like, well, I've, I've grown up now, and so I'm graduating from the gospel and to study something else. Well, no, everything in the Bible points to the gospel, and the gospel is the fullness of your scriptures. There's no point where we go, yeah, that was the ABCs of the Bible, but now I'm going to move on to something greater. No, the, the gospel in its simplicity is the heart and soul of the Bible. And ecclesia, you don't graduate from ecclesia. Well, you know, I'm, I'm too spiritual now. I'm too grown up spiritually. I've, I've grown in my discipleship, so now I don't need ecclesia. No, no, no. That's a bad idea. The Bible says much is given, much is required. As we grow, the more that our ecclesia, our church family, needs us, needs our gifts, needs our insights. We cherish one another, honor one another, build each other up. And so there's no graduation from this Ecclesia, this idea of what God's called us out of and into family, out of the world and into his church or into his body. So I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And we're going to talk about some dynamics about the church. We're going to look at some church stuff that happened in the book of Acts just a few months after the church got started, right? And uh, I want you to kind of explore this with me. And we're going to talk about this big idea of what church looks like, and how it works, all right? Does that sound good? Can we say a prayer together? Heavenly Father, we open our hearts. We want you to speak to us. We want you to do something new inside of us. God, we prepare our hearts to receive the new that you're, you're preparing us for, the new wine that's going to come into our lives. Let the word fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say amen. All right, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, this is Ecclesia, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who were all respected full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles will spend our time in prayer and teaching of the Word. And everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following, Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and uh, Nicanor and Timon and Permanus and Nicholas. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted true. So we have the church is doing well. New believers are coming into faith. And then we have a church problem, right? I mean, like, things are going good, and now there's a church problem. And then there is a resolution to the problem, and then there's more growth, more believers coming. And this is going to kind of show us a pattern. Now, I want to ask a very important question today, one that you're going to have to answer by either raising your hand or not raising your hand. The question is, how many here likes Caesar salad? Hands, all right. How many doesn't? You don't like Caesar salad. Raise your hand. All right. How many likes kale salad? You like salad with kale? All you overachievers, okay? Sounds good, all right. How many likes just a good chopped salad? Any chopped salad people in the house? Okay, how many people like ranch dressing, croutons, and cheese on just some iceberg lettuce? Basically, no, nothing healthy about that. It's just a bowl of water with ranch dressing, cheese, and croutons, right? Okay, anybody? 
All right, how many remembers a few months ago there was the romaine lettuce recall? Anybody remember that? How many was upset about that? That kind of was annoying a little bit. Like, you have this, I like Caesar salad, and you have recalled the only kind of lettuce that I really have an affinity for, okay? And so my options were dwindling, dwindling, dwindling. And then you find, like, there's these recalls. Like, they've recalled kale. They've recalled squash noodles. Did anybody know there was a such thing as a squash noodle? Like, they make noodles out of squash, and so instead of eating wheat, you're eating squash as the noodles in your pasta. How many people do that? Anybody do that? Because there's always a few weird people in the church, all right? Thank you for being here. Glad you're here. We love you. Okay? We got squash. And this was recalled. And people were like, I can't believe it was recalled. And, and, and you have things that are recalled. Sometimes you have uh, other foods. You have peanuts that were recalled. Tyson chicken that was recalled a couple years ago. But you know what's never been recalled? Bacon. Come on, somebody. Bacon is the safest food you can eat. Amen. Hallelujah. Nice servant's finished. I'm just kidding. Eat more bacon, okay? Um, recall. And then sometimes they have, like, a, a recall in cars, like the Toyota, whatever. We've got to change a uh, little screw. We've got to put a new um, fuse in or something. You know, we've got we to update it. Something's wrong. We sent it out, and something's wrong, and we've got to bring it back because it's wrong. And, and uh, maybe some of you remember some of the toys back in the day or some things that were made, products that were recalled. I'm going to show you a couple uh, recalled products here. This is, this is the, um, the Turbo Flush. 1.4 million of these that were sent out, and they started to explode, and 1.4 million turbo flushes were recalled, all right? And uh, you do not want to be there when that thing explodes. That's all I'm going to say, all right? Then we had the fire cap. I don't know if anybody remembers this. Fire cap. They had a, such a great idea. We're going to put all the right ingredients into this bottle, and we're going to do an aerosol. What they didn't realize is the aerosol actually helped the fire and didn't put out the fire. So they had to recall hundreds of thousands of these. And then some of you remember this back in the day, Easy Bake. How many remembers Easy Bake? How many still has scars on your hands from being burnt by Easy Bake? Future hand models that lost a future career because they were scarred by this, this very, you know, it, it was a great idea, but they had to recall it. And then in 1998, I was a senior in high school, um, these came out. These kind of became popular as a, a message. These came out. Too cool to do drugs. Now you're thinking, why in the world would they recall these pencils? They had to recall them. And here's why. Because as you use them, the message changes. Too cool to do drugs. Cool to do drugs. Do drugs. Drugs. <laughs> it went really bad really quick. All right? I mean, you're just sitting there doing your homework. You're like, I don't know. I just I have a bad feeling about all this, okay? And so the recall. So we're, we are used to, like, something's wrong. Send it back. How many here has returned something to Amazon recently? All right? Okay. Let's put those hands back up. Some of you chronic shoppers out there. We'll try it on. Wear it once. Send it back. We know who you are. We know who you are. Send it back. Well, that's not how it works with the church, right? We have a problem in the church. Acts chapter 6, church is growing. And now there's this disruption. People are upset. Uh, people are being neglected. And they're like, what's going on? And, and my first point today is this, is that a great church, the ecclesia, is not a problem-free church. I want you to get baptized with this simple idea. Like, just because there's problems 
doesn't mean it's not a glorious and wonderful church. We're not here because we're perfect. Look around. I'm going to tell you, the fact that I'm a part of this church means it's not a perfect church. The fact that you're a part of the church does not, it means that this is not a perfect church. The church has never been about perfection. In fact, it's perfectly imperfect. And what we see here is that these imperfections are actually the, the adjutants, like, like that adjutant in the, in, in, the, in the washing machine that actually gets the, the heart stirred up and, and, it, and it discovers not a problem, but we're discovering a process by which we can come to some conclusions and build bridges and figure out solutions to things that we need so we can move forward. And so this idea that one day I'll find the church, that is perfect. And that day will be the day that you're dead and you're in heaven. Can I just tell you that right now? You're like, I found the perfect, wait, where am I? I've got wings. Oh, my goodness. I'm dead. You know, that'll be that day, okay? On this planet, on this planet, like, there is no perfect church. All through the Bible, in fact, the epistles that we love to read that Paul wrote, so much correction and direction and, hey, guys, you're, you're missing the mark and you're forget Like, the church needed direction. The church needed to come together and resolve things and work through things. Now, I want to give you this. I want you to, like, this to be a mantra in your own heart, that God's plan for you is bigger than you just being saved. A lot of people say, well, God's plan is just I'm saved. Now that I'm saved, I'm just going to coast and try to slide right into heaven, right? There's more for you than just being saved. There's a reason that God left you on this planet. It's not to just stay incubated until you, like Jesus comes back. Like there's mission and there's purpose and there's destiny on your life. And if there wasn't, then on baptism Sundays, we would baptize you and we would just hold you under. Don't fight it, Jerry. You're going to go see Jesus right now. Don't fight it. You know? Get saved, go to heaven. Done. That's it. That's our ministry. Okay? I'm just going to save you, and we want to send you right away. Save you and send you. Okay? That's not God's plan. God's plan is for your, in your salvation, he calls us out, but he also calls us into an ecclesia that's missional, that's purposeful, that's changing us, that is so relevant to our spiritual formation. And we don't graduate from that. We don't graduate from the simplicity of what ecclesia, what church is about. And if we have the wrong ideas about church, then we get the wrong things out of church. Let me say that again. If we have the wrong ideas about church, then ultimately we will get the wrong, uh, with the wrong things out of church, okay? We start with the wrong assumptions. So as we look at this, I want to give you a couple things. Number one, the church is not perfect, and that's okay. The church is not perfect, and that's okay. Number two, God is shaping the church. God is bringing the church into its own spiritual formation. So the apostles were iconoclasts, which means they broke the mold. They were like, yeah, you know what? Um, the way we are doing things isn't really working. Yeah, there's people being neglected. So we need to break the mold and re-change the structure. And you can be like, wait, Jesus didn't have deacons. How can you do that? And, and you're going you're gonna to put qualifications? I mean, just a few chapters ago, you were casting lots to replace Judas. Who's going to take Judas' spot? I mean, if it worked in the upper room, it should work in Acts chapter 6. They're like, no, we're going to do it differently. And that was okay because we're coming up with godly solutions with the Holy Spirit to come up 
with processes that help us discover, here it is, the who. So every problem that's in the church can be answered with a who. When there's a need or a slack, guess what? We believe, our conviction is, that means there's a supply, someone with a gifting within the body to meet that need. Okay? So let's imagine this. The Bible teaches us that Christ is the head and the church is the body. Jude, our, our little Jude, he's nine years old, my sweet, wonderful, very amazing wife decided to buy Jude a Rambo knife for Christmas. And so Jude was whittling away, and he thought, you know what? I will whittle toward myself. And he sliced his thumb open, okay? And being the doctor-esque pastor that I am, I swooped in and saved the day. Don't ask them how it happened, but that's my story. And wrap that thing up and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But here's what didn't happen. Jude's brain didn't come out of his skull and come and fix the finger. The brain sends signals to the body, and the body begins to send the right stuff to the wound. White blood cells and red blood cells and and oxygen, all the things needed is in the body. The brain is sending signals to the body because what's needed is in the body. So there are needs in the body. But here's the cool thing. The answer is in the house. When Jesus was going to do a miracle, the first miracle, turning water into wine, they're like, Jesus, we need some more wine. Jesus did not go, you know, does anybody have a vineyard around here? If you just give me about nine to 12 months, I'll have you some wine. No, he goes, what do we got? Oh, dirty water? Let's just use that. Why don't you guys just pour the dirty water into everyone's cups? That sounds like an awesome idea, Jesus. You know what I mean? I I don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? But here's what Jesus does. The answer is always in the house. Well, we got to feed 5,000, not including women and children. What do we do? Well, what was their answer? Why don't we go to town? If we go to town, we can find something. No, 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 no. The answer's already here. What do we have? Well, there's this little lad. Let's steal his lunch. (laughs) And uh, we have some loaves and fishes. That's all we need. What's in the house? What we need is already here. And so problems create opportunities for people to rise up into calling and ministry. There's things in you you don't even realize that are in you. Passions and desires and giftings and metron and grace that God wants to bring into the body because the body is craving the gifts that God has put inside of you. Amen? And so this ecclesia, this call to keep coming back is like the call of heaven. And there is no spiritual formation outside of that. Now, we think, oh, you know what? I'm going to digitize my discipleship. I'm going to get some podcasts, and I'm going to listen to some sermons, and it doesn't work that way. I'm going to go to the Himalayas and go to a high mountain, and I'm going to sit, and I'm going to meditate and think about God. No, no, no. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to get right in the middle of the mess. As we serve one another, something begins to change in us. Because what's easy is, well... I don't want to deal with people. Yeah, but that's how God reveals the mess in you. You know, my wife and I, we dated for a year and never had one fight. We got married, and on day three, I didn't know she knew Kung Fu Panda, but she did. Right, uh, you know, just chop. 
But it was in the commitment to that relationship that transformation began to happen in me. You know, any relationship you're in, whether it's friends, whether it's a marriage, family, whatever it is, ecclesia, church, your energy, the bliss, the excitement, the feelings are going to wane. They're going to they're going to they're going to dissipate. Those feelings won't sustain you forever. At some point, commitment has to kick in that says, keep coming, keep ecclesia. Ecclesia, again, means gathering. Keep gathering. Keep coming together. Because it's in that cadence of gathering together that we're being changed. I'm committed to you, and you're committed to me. My son Joshua, I don't know if he's in here right now. He was in the other service so I get to tell the whole story. This is great. Um, last night, he's like, Dad, me and Ethan want to walk to 7-Eleven. And I'm like, well, what about, what about me? Can I go with you? He's like, come on, Dad. And I'm like, fine, just leave your phone on and call me when you're there and call me when you're on your way back and call me when you're halfway there. And, you know, just keep texting me and let me know. Maybe, maybe just take a couple pictures of what road you're on, you know. And I found, I know, terrible parenting, but, um, you know, Josh starts out as a child, as a baby, and he's completely dependent on us. And now he wants to be independent. But that's only the second stage of maturity. The next stage is interdependency, where we depend on each other. And a lot of people go from, I'm totally dependent on the church, and I'm totally dependent, and I can't do anything without it, to... I don't need, I mean, I don't really need this. And what you realize is we don't graduate from ecclesia. Much is given, much is required. Now there's someone who I'm five or six steps ahead who need me to carry them forward. There's an interdependency. Commitment kicks in, right? So how many of you here likes The Lion King? Remember The Lion King? Come on. Okay. And the day you found out that, that um, you know, Simba's dad, um, Mufasa, was also, Darth Vader, was also the guy who read the Bible on CD and tape, you know, James Earl Jones. That was a great day. But anyways, so little Simba, who's going to be king, gets connected with, oh, Uncle Scar. Remember this? Does anybody remember? Am I just the only guy who, okay. Um and the scar's like, oh, Simba, yeah, you'll be king one day. Uh, and he's like, and Simba's like, I'm brave. He's like, well, have you ever been out there beyond the horizon? Oh, I'm not allowed to go to the horizon. Oh, yeah, you don't want to go to an elephant graveyard. Oop, I've said too much. And he gets him excited about going beyond the borders, right? And he goes out there, and this whole peril happens, and there's great guilt on Simba. And so the second thing comes. Scar talks him into doing what he's not supposed to do, which brings great guilt. The second thing he does, he says, oh, what you've done is there's, there's no recompense for this. There's no way. That you better run. And he talks Simba instead of coming back to the pride and being a part and working through it within the community. He talks him into running away. As, he says, run as far as you can and never stop. And this is what the enemy does. He creates condemnation. And he wants you to break away from your family. 
He wants you to break away from the people, from the community that God has set up in your world to cleanse and to wash and to heal. Sometimes you need someone to wash your feet, not literally, but you need someone to pour water over your feet. And you've been someplace, you've done some things you're not proud of, but there's a place that is safe. It's not safe for sin, but it is safe for sinners, a place where you can come and find healing for your soul, a place where you can worship uninhibited, a place that's not full of perfect people. Perfect people don't go to heaven, but forgiven people go to heaven. We've been forgiven. We've been washed. That's what the church is about. In fact, I got a couple of scriptures. Matthew chapter 5 and 46. I want to give you a couple of scriptures just kind of deposit into your spirit really quickly. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So in the culture of ecclesia, the church, it's not like, hey, I want to find someone who's like me, who has the same color eyes and, and hair and thinks the same way. No. The beauty of ecclesia is that we find connections multi-generationally, multi-ethnic, multi-background. Been in church my whole life. Been in church for a month. Awesome. It's not about finding similarities. It's about expressing and walking in our unique differences. That's what church should look and feel like. That's where the power comes. I'm not like you, and you're not like me. I don't think the world could handle another you, and they couldn't handle another me, right? And that's the beauty of the church. It is ecclesia. It's unique. It's this assembling of all different parts and kinds coming together and sharing with each other our gifts and our expressions in community, right? And then we have another scripture, Galatians 6 and 1, says this, brothers, if any of anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual ought to publicize this on Facebook and warn other people not to hang out with these transgressors. No, It says, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted also. Bear one another's burdens, and you fulfill the law of Christ. Like we see someone hurting, we're like, oh, oh, they're just dragging dragging the church down. Man, shame on you for thinking that way. This is the opportunity for us to express what grace can look like, right? In fact, uh, Several years ago, a friend of mine who started preaching and speaking just a few years before I did told me the story. He said when he was at youth camp, he was like in in 1996, 97, um, he was probably 17, 18 at the time, and he went to youth camp, and it was in Michigan, and the chapel was up on a hill, and the cafeteria was down at the bottom of the hill, and there was this big hill that was grassy, and one one day it rained, and him and a bunch of friends snuck out of the dorm. Don't ever do this at camp. And they learned how to hotwire the golf carts that the pastors and the counselors used to patrol the youth camp. Okay? I mean, they were sitting there. I mean, obviously, they wanted them to use it, right? And so they hotwired it. And they're going up this hill. And they would go down because it was slick because it rained the day before. And they would slide. And they would turn the wheel. And it would spin. <laughs> And they just kept doing it. And you know, as you do it more, you just spin a little harder and you go a little faster until finally my friend Rich spins this golf cart and it slams into one of the pastor's trucks, the front, and just breaks all the front lights in the grill. 
and he does what any respectable young Christian would do. He runs as fast as he can back to the dorm. And so the next day at camp, they're like, whoever did this, will you please confess? And of course, he didn't confess. And so later on, God calls him to preach, and he ends up getting invited to preach for the pastor of the truck that he smashed into five years before. So he's preparing his sermon, and he's, it's before church. He's like, I cannot get up there and preach without confessing to this pastor that I'm the one who slammed into his truck. So he goes and knocks on the, door, the, the office door. He's like, Pastor, I, before I get up and preach, I just got to tell you something. I just I can't get up there without telling you. He's like, what is it, Rich? He goes, remember camp five years ago? Someone slammed into your truck. He's like, that was me. I'm the one who did it. And the pastor started laughing. He said, Rich. He said, me and all my pastor friends, we were all in the cafeteria drinking hot chocolate, watching you guys going up and down the hill. He said, I saw you when you hit my truck. And he said, Rich, the moment you did it, I forgave you. And this is what Rich said. He said, he said mercy was given at the point of offense, but it was revealed at the point of confession. And there's a lot of us who, like Simba, we think, man, I've messed up. I'm not good enough. Like, I'm not good enough. That, that whole idea, like, well, I don't want to go to church because I'm not good enough. No, you, you, you go because you're not good enough. I don't want to go to the doctor because I'm sick. No, you go to the doctor because you're sick. Like, we have stinking thinking, bad thinking about this. Like, this is the, this is the working on us. We keep coming together. We keep praying together. We keep believing. We keep encouraging one another. Ecclesia is about cadence. It's about getting connected and bonded with people who can keep me accountable. So we do large church, small church. That's what we do, small groups. So you can take the mask off and someone can know your name and someone can pray for you and someone can check in on you. It's important to be connected so someone knows you. We like to say it like this, like we're a small church with a lot of people. Small groups is a way for a, a, a large, church to, large church to feel small. We've got to be connected in real, authentic community. Let me show you another scripture that kind of exemplifies like Christ's heart for us to be in community. Matthew 18 and 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately, okay, privately, and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say can be conferred by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now you're going, wow, that got real real right there. Let me explain what this means. It means if there's an offense in the church, here's what we want to do. Well, I'm done. I'm gone. Jesus says these little tizzies and the tension is to get your attention because this is the way God draws out all that old iniquity and bondage and old way of thinking. Not on a mountain in the Himalayas, but in the crucible of being connected in community. Right? I got to be connected with people who keep me accountable. Serving, and all of a sudden an attitude comes out and someone's like, hey, can I go 100 with you? That attitude, where did that come from? I don't know. But I, I don't like it. Well, let's pray on it. Let's think about it. Let's, I want to be accountable with you. That's why we serve together. That's why we share together. Small groups, dream team. That's why we, we do these things. It's not because we need more volunteers. We don't. It's not the point. 
point is, is when we're in community, true spiritual formation happens. Is that, is that okay? So then he says, look, if you go to someone, you're like, hey, can I be 100 with you? And they're like, I don't know. I'm not going to listen. He says, look, let's get some peers and let's get together and let's talk this out. That doesn't work. Hey, hey, pastor, we got this situation. And instead of running and darting and going, it's like, hey, let's keep working on it. Keep working. And the Bible says, if that doesn't work, you treat them like a tax collector, okay, and a pagan. What does that mean? You pagan. No. It means we have compassion. How do we treat people who are far from God? We treat them with love and compassion. And there's not much I can do beyond this, but I'm just going to treat you like I would anybody whose, whose soul is wandering. And, and obviously, if you can't hear, then we're just going to, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be here for you. Right? And that's what we keep, we keep leaning into. The same God who called us out of the world keeps calling us back together again. Keep working on it. Keep trying. Keep figuring it out. Keep pressing in. Keep staying in community. Stay accountable. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. It's the assembly together again and again. Can I get an amen? amen. Lord of the Rings, the trilogy. J.R. Tolkien, as he talks about what that narrative really is about. It's about a guy named Frodo who has to carry a burden. And he cannot carry it alone. He has to have his friends, and he has to have his help, and he's got to have the elf, and he's got to have all kind of different people helping him. He's got to have his crew. He's got to have his posse who's there fighting with him, fighting for him. And at the end of the day, Frodo's the only one who can carry the ring. But at the end of the story, Sam, his best friend, couldn't carry the ring for him. But he says this, I can't carry the ring, Frodo, but I can carry you. I can carry you to Mount Doom so you can throw that ring, that burden, and finish it. I'm going to help you finish your race. Can I just speak over someone right now? You cannot finish this journey by yourself. It wasn't designed to be that way. It was never designed for you to be the one-hit wonder, the superhero with the cape all by yourself. It was to be a family, an army, a collage of friends and family who care and know you. You can't do it because you were never supposed to do it. And you've tried to be strong on your own. And you go, why do I keep falling? Can I just tell you, even though faithful are the wounds of a friend, the iron sharpens iron. And two and a three-chord prong is not easily broken. I need you and you need me interdependency in the community of faith. Amen? I'm going to close with this story really quickly. My wife and I, when we were traveling, we traveled you know, all over the United States for about two, two and a half years before God started kind of re reshaping our hearts and getting us ready to, to, to pastor. And we were traveling in the south, and we were in, we were in Beaumont, Texas, in this church that we ministered to. The pastor told this story, and he, it was so interesting. It was actually one that I've never forgotten because it just, it, 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 it kind of stuck real heavy. And it was a story about a, a lady who was a Sunday school teacher in their church. And she was faithful and, like, 
children had come up through her ministry and were serving in the church and some that even were serving in ministry because of like her teaching and her faithfulness and that was her heart and that was her passion. And she'd been struggling because her husband had never served God, was never interested in church and it was just this tension. So she comes knocking on the pastor's door and asks to speak with the pastor and his wife and says, Pastor, Pastor wife, I love you guys so much. She goes, but I can't do it anymore. I, I, can't, I can't go to church. I, I, I can't even serve God. I'm done. I've been pulling this way, and my husband's been pulling this way for so long, and I cannot do it. And the pastor, in his wisdom, says this. It's fine. You, you, you do what you got to do. I totally get it. He said, but let me, get, let me ask one request. I got one request. Fine, fine. What, what is it? What is it? Will you come back next week and teach Sunday school one more time? Oh, Pastor, I, why would you ask me that? If you love us and you, you mean, I'm asking this one favor. Fine, I will come back one more time. I'm done, but I'll do it for you. So Sunday morning, she's waking up, getting ready. She's about to walk out of the house, and she hears her husband scream, Honey, where's my dress shoes? She's like, what does he mean his dress shoes? Where's he going? I don't know. Maybe in your closet. About to leave. Hey, babe, where's my, my sports coat? Honey, babe, what, where are you, what are you doing? Where are you going? He walks in the room. He says, you know, I woke up this morning. And you're getting ready for church. And I started to think, you've been pulling this way, and I've been pulling this way for so long. You know what? Today I'm going to go to church with you. That day he went to church. That day he gave his life to the Lord, and he was changed forever. I just want to tell you, like, ecclesia, the cadence, the commitment, the, the togetherness. There's something that God knew that we needed, that even in our human nature, we resist. Because it's, it's not easy, but it's right, and it's good for us. Commitment to a family, to faces, to people, to souls. And I want to just speak this into you, like, community is what we were created for. We were created to do this together, to hold one another up, to not judge one another, but to lift each other up when we fail. Say, you're going to make it. I want to say to someone today, you are going to make it. We got your back. We will fight for you. We'll fight with you, but not against you. You got to make it. We're going to cross that finish line together. Amen. Would you bow your heads all across this place? Hearts open. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for ecclesia. I thank you for family, community, accountability, commitment. Thank you for this house. And I thank you for what you're doing. We honor you. Nobody's looking around. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I, I want to, if you're here today and, and you don't know that you know the Lord, you don't know that you have a real, authentic relationship with Jesus 
and you don't know if your sins have been washed. You just, you know that maybe you want it. You may maybe know that you want to know more about it, but today you're willing to admit, I, I'm missing something. I'm missing the most important thing. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? No one's looking around. Slip that hand up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Three, three hands, four hands, five, five people today. Amen. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being real and authentic. We all had to get real and be like, yeah, there's something missing. And if you'll call on the name of the Lord and you'll receive his forgiveness and let him wash your heart, he'll take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. He'll remake your heart today. So pray this prayer with me if you raise your hand. Lord Jesus, I have sinned and I have failed. There's a debt that I cannot pay. But I believe that you died for me. You were buried and you rose again. I believe that through the finished work of Jesus, there is hope for me to shed this guilt and to shed this pain and for my sins to be washed away, to be expunged from my account. The debt can be gone. And I begin by repenting of my sins and confessing that I am a sinner. Forgive me, forgive me. I have fallen short. But Jesus, you went all the way for me, for my sins. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. And thank you for allowing me to begin a new walk and a new relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Come on, let's celebrate right now. If you prayed that prayer, life begins at faith. Life begins at faith. Life begins at faith. But it doesn't stop there. We have water baptism. We have some next steps we'd love to share with you that are so important to your walk. And we'd love to invite you to meet our team at the Next Steps tent right outside these doors right after service. We have a gift for you if you made a decision today, a Bible and some next steps that are in this beautiful red bag that has your name on it. So don't miss this opportunity. Amen? Now, if you're here today and you, need, you have a need in your life, great or small, I mean, it could be small and you think it's too insignificant, too silly to have someone help me pray. Nothing's too small that God doesn't care and nothing's too big that God can't heal or help. Amen? So if you have a need here today, in just a moment when our worship team sings this last song, I want you to be bold today. I want you to step up and step out and come forward and let us pray with you. And let's see God do a miracle in the house. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. Worship with us. Open your hearts in Jesus' name.